0: Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast. This episode is number 400, and it's a special one. My name's Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. And this week's interview is with the guest Ian O'Connell. Ian is a British businessman, inventor, technology visionary, and Pepper's Ghost expert, He's the co-founder of Musion IP Limited, Musion Events Limited, and Musion 3D Limited. Ian is widely recognized as a pioneer of holographic image capture and display technology. In this conversation with Ian, we discuss the founder's story, how he became attached to the hologram, his entrepreneurial odyssey, the state of the art of holographic technology today, use cases, and much more. You'll find all the show notes on mintodial.com, Please do consider to drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Ian O'Connell, how lovely to get you on my podcast. Uh, You and I met thanks to our mutual friend and contact, great old Tiffany St. James. But beyond that, we even have other friends, uh, notably the chaps and the folks at high vision in montreal ian in your own words who are you (laughs)
1: Um, i I asked myself that question many times Um, well i would always say that i've been a media man Um, my early career was with ipc magazines and read business publishing developments and i was very quickly fast-tracked into their export division uh, at the age of 20, very tender age of 20, where I found myself out in Kuwait um, on my own, being told to go and find some business for us. Um, So I've always been um, developing technologies that people say, well, is what's the point of that? Um, The the great issue I had in the Middle East is that people were saying, Arabs don't read. What are you doing out in the Middle East trying to develop a publishing business? Um, In the same way that when I started the hologram business in 2002, and the the theater lobbies that were our initial uh, contacts to bring in when we set up in Covent Garden, would come in and say, well, it's not really theatre, it is video. Do you see a market for holograms? Um, To which I would say, well, I hope so, because I've sunk my life savings into this. So that's my background. My background is is 16 years in publishing, followed by 18 years in hologram development. Um, And if I had to pick a person from history that I identify with closely, um, is a chap called David Sarnoff um, with whom I share the same birthday uh, and Chinese sign incidentally (laughs) Uh, and David Sarnoff um, is uh, considered to be one of the fathers of radio and fathers of television uh, having run uh, firstly the Radio Corporation of America and then NBC for many years. Does
0: that answer your question? Yes, it does, beautifully. So, Ian, you are, in my words, clearly a visionary pioneer in the world of holograms and holographic technology. I would love for you to explain the moment, that little aha moment about the hologram that turned you and got you onto this fabulous journey.
1: So... After 16 years in publishing, I came back from Dubai, where I'd been living for four years. I had money in my pocket. Um, I was looking at possibly going into property development. Uh, I had a side business that I had set up with my sister uh, called Dormina UK Limited, which was an invention development company. And that was set up um, initially because my sister had a great invention for a lockable socket cover, um, which at the time we thought was going to be uh, the greatest thing since sliced white bread for the for the sort of child safety market. But it's ultimately turned out to be uh, a bestseller in the dementia market. So hmm. instead of babies, it was old people. Um, but as part of that, I had an invention development company. So I was the chap that would uh, book these little ads on the radio saying, hey, you've got an interesting idea come to us, and we'll turn you into a millionaire. But I would get all sorts of rubbish coming across my my, my, my desk. Um, and the amount of, it's sort of the opposite of a tire kicker, I'm not quite sure what the word is, but people who invent things that think this is going to change the world, and it really won't. But in and amongst that, um, an old friend of mine from Dubai, who. Um, I'm not sure if I should say this, but at the time he certainly had an internet porn habit. Um, But he rang me up in the middle of the night, uh, telling me that he had seen this floating BMW turning around in a ballroom, and that in his 16 years of live event production, he'd never seen anything like it in all his life. And that together we were going to revolutionize the world of porn. Uh, to which I said, you really need to get this um, internet porn habit uh, dealt with, James, especially so if you're living in Dubai. Um, he said, no, 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 uh, that's just a joke. You need to come and see this and blah, blah, blah. And so he convinced me to drive with him to Overarth in Germany to see the technology. And you've asked me to mention the moment. Well, I have to say it was love at first sight. They they were a bunch of um, quite sort of parochial German um, engineers that were sort of, you know, perched on the edge of the Black Forest. And um, they played this clip of a girl throwing a a baseball towards us, Uh, and then a series of other clips, including the famous floating BMW and i thought to myself this is absolutely astonishing and what came to my mind immediately i mean it, it wasn't that i needed to think about it i think i was 15 seconds into the demo and all i could think about was gerald Scarf's animation that i remember as a as as a teenager watching uh, pink floyd performing the wall in earl's court and in that moment i said to myself I would love to see that animation on my platform, and that still remains one of my, you know, things to do on my bucket list to this day. Um, is to take the sequence um, where the uh, the mother turns into the uh, the awful beast, and um, it's a fantastic piece of projection, and one that would look truly uh, amazing on the foil so that was moment number one was love at first sight but in terms of turning the business from a a, cu- a curiosity that everyone was saying well do you think there'll be a market for holograms that moment was when madonna appeared um uh, on cbs television in the us it was our first ever Project in the US, which was Madonna happening to open the 2006 Grammy Awards performing as a hologram with the Gorillas. Mm -hmm. And that brought Walt Disney knocking. It brought, uh, I can remember General Motors in China, Cadillac in particular, the Israeli army, the American army, uh, and it was just our feet didn't touch the ground for about nine months after that event, um, and it was a great way of traveling the world because people were paying for your flights and accommodation and really just um, treating you like a, a bit like a film star because the magic of Musion was something that everybody wanted to, at the time we thought buy and develop business with us, but <laughs> many of them wanted to just uh, you know take our secrets and um, go and do a, a cheap copy of it but you know uh, celibate.
0: indeed the journey i love this there are so many little dots i'm uh, connecting in my mind because you you said you know as a 20 year old you were projected into kuwait and i was thinking teleportation was in was the image i had and of course that sort of somehow feels connected to holographic elements where you're recomposing and decomposing and projecting people from one place into another. So that, and then you talked about the the car industry in multiple times and um, my father worked in the car industry and there's this example of the old and new, there was a car in France that was launched and it was designed to be for just the young people because they wanted to have the young people, they wanted to renovate their audience so they designed it and they targeted it only towards the younger people but the people who bought it were all the old people thinking they were young so um, in every every old soul is a, is a young mind and and the other thing which is interesting is that oftentimes i've spoken about how pornography is a tremendous innovator they uh, obviously they have to always you know generally they're always on the cusp of legalities But in terms of exploring new tech, it seems to be one of the areas that is the most uh, constantly on the cutting edge of technology. And so it's no surprise at some level, like can Imagine, and you can probably look at pornography in a holographic method as being far more humane at some level, as opposed to prostitution or other forms of... Of pornography
1: I, I agree with you um, the thing is that I in my 16 years of publishing I did five years with Walt Disney and learned a lot about licensing uh, and they you know one of the things that that stuck with me was they said you know your the, 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 the your license agreements that you have with your customers Tells your customers a lot about you. So, in all of the Disney licensing agreements that um, that we signed and that we signed as licensees with other people, pornography was an exclusion, as was religion, politics, and so on. Um, and so, I put my foot down from day one when we first drafted the license agreements that we used to license the uh, the patents and trademarks to say that pornography should always be in our list of exclusions. If somebody wants to come along and buy the company and turn it into a porn fest, well, that's, that's their business. But whilst we run the company, uh, and Musion is on a, on a track aimed at entertainment. Yes. Distance learning. Yes. Politics. Yes. Um, Pornography, just um, I, 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 you know, it's just been one of those things. It's 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 almost like a a kind of well, that's a rule, and we're not going to break it. Um, But it's it's been very interesting. Not to say that we haven't thought about how we do it, and in fact, during the course of a uh, a a, a theatre production that we're halfway through at the moment. The producer wanted us to cut to do, she she didn't want a locked off camera with a wide view of the stage at all times. She said, I want to make it slightly filmic. How would that work? And I said, Well, it would work very well. It's something that was explored when people were trying to convince us to do porn, because of course, you would, you you know, you you would, (laughs) sorry to put it in these very kind of vulgar terms in a way, but. People want the close-ups, that, that's, mm. that's you know, that's part of what the internet uh, has, has given people, perhaps in privacy. Um, and I always thought that, you know, for what it's worth, porn is a private thing. And therefore, if we're a public uh, display, I felt it just wasn't appropriate.
0: I yeah. totally understand. And I think it's very interesting, your notion of how you license is who you are, or it says a lot about who you are. One of the areas, um, so without getting into the weeds as to the technology, but I'd be interested to find out how does one protect holographic technology? I mean, is this, is it just a bunch of legalese? Is it a bunch of technicalities? How does one protect a technology around holog- holography?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, it's certainly something that um, people have express um, surprise uh, more often over. Because I think it's a little bit like a magician's trick. And a magician's trick is only fascinating and entertaining when you can't understand how it's done, but it's nevertheless very compelling or engaging to watch. And that the moment you understand how the trick's done, you think less of it. And that was certainly the original inventor, Uwe Mars, that was certainly his philosophy. Don't tell anybody anything, keep it all secret, keep it all a mystery. But what changed my view was when, quite early on in our history in 2006, we did a large project for general electric aircraft and from the very beginning when i was told that this lady who was coming to see us in covent garden in our very modest studios in covent garden was the closest thing to a goddess that anybody would meet because she was in charge of ge's live events globally and that i was to you know uh, be seen and not heard unless spoken to um she fell in love with the technology like i did in very much the same way and we became i won't say close but but she definitely let her guard down with me a lot and i went down to the opening day of the farnborough air show where we were first showcasing the display that they had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on in order to replace the one and only prototype engine that they had in America and she leveled with me and said you know Ian the reason we did this was that it was $900,000 just to ensure the prototype to bring it over here let alone all the shipping costs and the fact that it's really just a lump of metal that sits on a boom She said, what we've got here with your technology is a way of taking that engine apart and and selling it piece by piece. She said, but I have a comment. She said, the hologram of the presenter looks nothing like as good as the holograms that I saw in your studio. Don't get me wrong. I love the animation and the Navy and the Air Force and the Army have all said this is the best presentation they've ever seen so i'm already in the uh, president's good books but what is it with the hologram filming why does it look bad i said it could be any number of reasons i said that they could have got the frame rate wrong they could have got the angle of the shutter wrong and she said well ian can i can i just give you a little bit of advice which you know please take it as constructive criticism from one of the world's leading companies either You do the filming yourself and say, nobody knows how to do this filming and therefore we have to do it. Or you document what you do, file a patent, okay? And license it. She said, because the filming company we use to make that hologram have been in Hollywood for 50 years. Okay, and they make huge feature films and we paid them a king's ransom to do that. And yet they couldn't come close to your quality. I said thank you for the advice and sure enough two years later we filed the filming patent which people have said to me can you really protect the filming process of Pepper's Ghost you know it's been around for donkey's years and the simple answer is yes you can because there's filming and filming. Um, Likewise when people said well Pepper's Ghost has been around for 1862 since 1862 how can protect an invention that's been around for that long and people don't understand that patents are granted for on the basis of novelty and inventive step. in other words you push the industry forward and okay uh, anecdotally I'll quote the conversation with Walt Disney after the Madonna performance in 2006 they flew over and The chap there was very wooden with me. And he said to me, I will never admit this in public, but we cannot match the quality of what I'm seeing here today using glass. He said there are 12 Pepper's Ghost vendors around the world. We know them all because we are the world leaders in Pepper's Ghost, And they're all crying in their soup because of this damn foil of yours. And I said, well, you know, we're we're happy. We don't want to sell the patents, but we'd be happy to license them to you. Do you want to license the patents? He said, we certainly do. And they did. And they used it for uh, Narnia uh, over on the west coast of the States and have been a regular customer um, for uh, Euro Disney in the Ratatouille line. And the reason is that the foil just moved the industry forward because before the foil, there were only large sheets of glass. And as he explained to me, when they were building their visitor attractions that had these hologram effects in there, they were unable to even put the roof on these visitor attractions until the glass had gone in. They had to go in by crane. And then this glass was arranged that the sort of, a few degrees off the vertical so that they could then sort of project through it to get the Pepper's ghost image on the other side. And we essentially shrunk the footprint of, of their visitor attractions by about a half. They were 50% smaller uh, in terms of how much projection space they required. So it was no wonder they were all over this when they saw what we did with Madonna and gorillas in 2006 however looking back on it now um, we should have we should have raised finance then because patents are only really valuable if you can enforce them and other than possibly germany where patent uh litigation is, is is quite reasonable they encourage small german companies to file patents and then they they make it easy for them in terms of cost and time to enforce we only really adopted that process in 2011 with the uh, formation of what was then the patents county court which has subsequently become the uk ipec court um so that enables you to enforce your patent at a cap fee of fifty thousand pounds but that's still a lot of money um and 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 at the end of the day if you don't patent your 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 product all over the world well what's the point of having a patent in the uk if somebody in France can just copy it Mm willy-nilly so we spent a king's ransom on patents and um yes we've won a couple of patent infringement cases and yes we've been on the wrong end of a couple of patent infringement cases for our very own patents um that's another story for another day Mm um but the simple answer really is yes you can protect this but I think it comes down to really relying on your know-how and your market reputation and your experience in delivering projects I've always said that holograms if they had a if they had a, a gender they would be female hmm. be. Um, they, they are the most wondrous uh, inventions and, and, and experiences But sometimes, more often than not, in fact, you don't know what you're going to get until you get it. Um, So
0: I I have a question for you, and I I want to get in a little bit to the state of the art of the tech. But before that, you mentioned entertainment, distance learning, and politics. I'd be interested to hear from you over the over the years that you've been doing this. Do you have a, a, a crush on one specific? use case or maybe a couple that really are your favorite use cases that you've developed and you'd love to see more of perhaps
1: that's a fabulous question um because it goes right to the heart i think of why i got into the um yes somebody dragged me kicking and screaming to overall but before i took that journey to overall I was about to put myself through LA film school to become a scriptwriter. And I knew that if I became a script writer, I'd be a scriptwriter in a, in a red ocean of blood. That is to say, that you know, me fighting with the next script writer and many others. Um, but Musion took me into a blue ocean where there were no competitors. It was all about how good you were at developing the concept to pe- the, the, to people that would spend the money with you uh, and give you that, 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 that opportunity. Um, so if I had to pick a single project, um, one in Beijing hmm. called Apolog 2047. Um, which was an extraordinary production that with hindsight was a very clever ploy from the Chinese government to get the eight leading sort of AV vendors from around the world to come and sort of showcase their wares on a virtually limitless budget. But of course, they were able to take a lot of know-how from that. But it was a, that was a fantastic project for um, a famous Chinese director called Zhang Yimou, who basically let us get on with it. Um, he asked us to interpret uh, an old sort of Chinese tradition of how the man uh, serenades and courts the woman that he wants to marry through I suppose it's really their version of Romeo and Juliet hmm. because back in the day the uh, the female wasn't allowed out of the house and the male would have to do whatever he could do to attract her attention and he asked us to produce this show and it was exactly eight minutes long because the Chinese have a and almost well they have a passionate fascination with the number eight so they had eight shows each of exactly eight minutes to make a wonderful show and it was a wonderful show but it was the best of the best we were you know privileged to work alongside american uh, uh canadian and other european um, entertainment and av companies that that really were at the top of their game and that's one of my favorite pieces. Um, can you,
0: Ian, can you explain to me why it was your favorite?
1: Because I think that visually, you didn't need to speak Chinese. They actually got but part of the fascination from music, which people forget, is integrating the live performance. So the holograms are all well and good, but if you can integrate it with the live performance, and they found this guy from somewhere in Northern China that is one of the very few people out of a billion people, that still played this ancient Chinese instrument. And they not only got him in for the rehearsals, but he was there in the National Theater in Beijing. As part of this show, playing this instrument, and he looked like he was going to drop dead any moment. But he had this permanent grin on his face. And at the end of the show, we all were there on the front of the stage to take a bow. And it was just—it was just one of the most artistic pieces I've ever seen. If you—if you—if you, if you if you're sort of dragging me into the corporate world and saying, "Well, what 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 other shows?" I think the Burberry show in two thousand
0: and eleven. Was um, this what, that, in the Arons era?
1: That was uh, no. It's when um, Chris. What what was his name? The CEO. Oh,
0: so the one who took over Arons. Yes. The,
1: yes. Number two. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the creative director then, and um, the photographer T- Testino is his, is that his name?
0: I don't
1: um, Yeah, he. But, and that was Burberry's launch into China and that was a really well choreographed show they really knew they really thought about how they're going to use holograms when you watch that show you don't know what what which of the models are holograms which of the models are real and then they would clash and you know sort of explode so that those two are the ones I think that stick in my mind mm. um, there were others that were not for public consumption, like um there was a 60th birthday party in Moscow for um Russia's leading military uh, salesman. And that <laughs> that was a show that I'd never you know, the likes of which I've never seen before. I have all of that animation on my hard drives. And um, you know, there was a skit in there where the he, he's having he's He's having his fun with his mistress, uh, which of course is all holographic, mm-hmm. and his, his wife, as a hologram, comes into the room and shoots the mistress dead. Um, and it, it, you know, it's just only in Russia that you find that. Only in Russia.
0: Mm, um, that's, I, of course, I, I know I know well the Russian culture, and it just makes me think somehow. You are absolutely at the edge of fantasy and reality of fiction and fact there is something about the hologram that incarnates or is at that sort of weird zone like Narnia where you go through your cupboard the cupboard is real the doors are you know you feel the the handles of the door and then the other side is this fantasy world I mean you really, I really feel in the stories you're telling me about how you're at that, at that zone.
1: What I think is terrific about it is that you know we were three entrepreneurs that didn't really take the company seriously at all until we produced the the show for the Gorillas in November 2005. Then we realised we had something. And when EMI called us two weeks later and said, can we have the name of your agent in America? And said, what do you mean the name of our agent in America? We don't even have a website. The you name is Yes, you better get your act together, boys. Madonna's seen the show in, in Lisbon and wants to open the Grammys with it. Oh dear, we better take this seriously, lads. Um, but it's the way it's permeating society around the world. Um, as I said, I... Being a magazine man, um, well, it's one thing to take American or UK magazines and tweak them for the Middle East uh, and, and get and get Arabs to read, if, hmm. if, if that really is what what people were saying to us. But look at Musion. Within about eighteen months, we'd gone from zero to you know fifty countries around the world, and they couldn't get enough of it. It's a visual medium uh, and one that people are still trying to harness and understand and and, and, and and get the best out of. So it's the universal appeal of it, which is really important. Um, and this is why, as I said, I, I, I don't want to labour the point too much about David Sarnoff, but you'd be surprised, you'd be surprised at the number of Americans who count themselves as patriotic Americans, Americans that know their history. And when you ask them, do you know the history of American communications? And they say, no, I don't. What is the history of American communications? And it's an important part for me because you asked me earlier on, ian when when was your moment well the moment when i first saw musion the moment when madonna appeared on stage our madonna moment but there was the other moment which is when i finished reading the biography of david sarnoff because that's when i knew that this was my calling in life. and i'd always been looking everyone looks for their calling i i remember being quite envious of so many um characters that you watch being interviewed on television when they say, well, I was doing this and then this happened and then I knew it was my calling. And some people are very lucky to get that either in their teenagers or in their twenties or thirties. And for me, I had to wait until I was in my forties, my late forties in fact. Um, and I read the biography of David Sarnoff because but, but plot, brief potted history. He, he, he was a, a Jewish emigre from uh, Minsk. Uh, who left with his family to uh, grow up in in the sort of slums of New York, Um, took a job very early on delivering newspapers to earn money, then got a job as a um, telegraph operator, but was one of the very early employees for Marconi Wireless. And his claim to fame, he says the moment that he invented radio, um and and just to put this into context back in the day all of the wireless offices were located on the top of department stores on the east coast because the department stores in those days in america were the highest buildings that existed and it was actually april 1912 when the titanic went down and At that time, very few ships had wireless. And the first rescue ship that got to the Titanic did not have wireless. It was the second rescue ship that had wireless. And David Sarnoff, as a young man, was manning the wireless station in, I think, what was Macy's um, department store. And in his biography, he claims that he he worked a 16-hour shift because back then the way that wireless worked was that he had his headphones on, just like you are today, and he would be hearing into his headphones from the the ship's um, wireless communicator. Oh my goodness, this is carnage. We found another boat with lots of dead people floating around in the water. And he was communicating that to other people in the room. And if you've been doing this for 16 hours, at some point it will sink into your brain wouldn't it be a great idea if you were able to take the transmission of somebody remotely and amplify it in the room so that people could all hear it at the same time and that was how the invention of radio was born and you'd be surprised at how few people understand that that it was the sinking of the titanic that was the catalyst for the invention of radio. People knew the technology existed.
0: That is a marvelous story. It, it, you know, in, in uh, my head's spinning as stories tend to do to beget other stories. A friend of mine was running social media for the New York times and was banging her head, Jennifer Preston, to name her she was banging her head because she kept on trying to persuade the senior management at New York Times that social media is going to be relevant for news. And of course, today, one has a different view of that. But at the time, it was quite revolutionary. And there was a moment which turned out to be absolutely critical in turning people's minds. It's nothing to do with Sarnoff's moment, if you will, but there is a link and you'll see. It turns out that Jennifer was sitting on the desk, news desk with everybody. And thanks to her initial following and and being on Twitter, she was able to find out ahead of any other journalist that approximately one mile from the office, an airplane had landed on the Hudson River. And it was that revelation that showed that Twitter is a source of news. Anyway, so there's water, and revelations in New York to make well, that story,
1: and, and the story the the plot thickens with David Sarnoff because at that time he did have the ear of the president of General Electric, um, um, or as he as he as he ascended the management um, in Marconi. So 1912. He could see how you would put the radio together, but the issue was that there were patents—or as the Americans say, patents—owned by six or seven different companies, including AT and T, Bell, Westinghouse, GE, and he tried to lobby the president of GE to say, "Look, we could put this." They called it um, a wireless amplification set, was what it was initially called.
0: Makes sense. And
1: they were getting no traction at all uh, from any of the companies. They were basically being politely told to, um, you know, take a hike. So fast forward to 1916 when the Germans cut the Atlantic link, because another little known fact that many Americans also are surprised to hear is that America's communications with the world went via London and this transatlantic cable that was laid between New York and the West Coast of Ireland and onto the, uh, or the West Coast of the UK. I don't know exactly where, but it was a cable connection. And the German U-boats managed to to break that. So for a while, America was cut off from the world. And then, and only then, did Congress in America act on on the initiative of Sarnoff and uh, the president of GE at the time, um, where they enacted something called the pooling of patents. And that is a, 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 a very, infrequently used because you know freedom and democracy is enshrined in everything that the americans do and how active it is that we're talking about this on a day when america looks like it's going into probably its biggest supreme court case in the history of time um they passed uh in the senate they they passed a, a resolution to uh firstly enforce westinghouse at t bell Um, GE to pull their patents, they uh, did an enforced uh, compulsory purchase order of um, Marconi's American wireless operations and from that the Americans established and developed radio and in 1917 RCA the Radio Corporation of America was formed um, and it was all looking fine and dandy for Sarnoff until 1919, when the patent pooling um, uh, edict was, was, was reversed, was revoked. Uh, and everyone, you know, he was beside himself with, with disappointment. But they managed to cobble together something by 1920. RCA still survived and they cobbled something together. And just again, I'll I'll finish the story by saying that the first ever public radio broadcast was a boxing match in New York, heard by 27,000 people. And the newspapers at the time said, oh, is this the beginning of our demise? But of course it wasn't. And uh, from RCA, RCA's... um, Uh, after major lawsuits with um, AT&T, because AT&T was a carrier at that time um, and became a competitor. But from it all, uh, they spun off NBC. So NBC was spun off from RCA. But a little-known company at the time, in 1925, called CBS Radio, was started. And they focused all their money not on tech like NBC, uh and rca did but on content so although their cbs service was um, ropey at best by golly when they were on air it was compelling and in a way i identified with cbs now more than NBC. i think we need to leave the patents and the tech behind and we need to focus more on the quality of content and entertainment because i'm privileged to be working now with artists and theater producers and some music labels and for me that's the future of music and it's it's not based in, in 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 the patents and the tech anymore because you can have a gazillion patents and the chinese won't pay the blindest bit of notice to it and if you want to if you're if you're a media platform you cannot ignore china you have to you have to take china on board and you have to take south america on board and both of those territories really are at best uh laissez-faire about intellectual property rights so if your intellectual property rights are vested in content and artists and uh learning then that's 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 the
0: way forward, I think. It reminds me of the battle, if you will, with virtual reality, where really, as I see it, it's the power of storytelling that will run the success, or not, of VR. Yeah, I wanted to get into uh, another space without necessarily getting into the tech, but really, certainly with our friends at High Vision, you've got to a place with holographic technology that I feel is really interesting. So the way I describe it is you're able to do real-time holographic tech, which means it's not just filmed and then projected like a, a Modi might do or, or whatever to be able to be present on different stages around the world. You've now got to the point where you can do holographic live. That's what I think is extremely exciting. Tell me I'm wrong, or at least elaborate on on how this is where it's at.
1: You're absolutely right. And I think it's important to draw the distinction between what Modi did as a satellite broadcast, what streaming means, which is all the rage at the moment, and what, interactive performance means, because they are three very distinct beasts. Um, Modi, because he was able to, I, I mean, Modi holds the Guinness World Records, it's in the Guinness World Records as being the, the most um, replicated hologram at the same time um of anyone by a long way i might add he did 104 holograms of himself all over india at the same time and this was during the gujarat state elections and they were getting feedback to show 6.5 percent swings because they were taking these uh container trucks that were being battered and bruised, getting over the Indian roads into these villages that don't have any electricity. And once they turned up in these, and they could only do two villages a night, but they would turn up into these villages and two engineers that had been trained to, you know, like put the mast up, do this, do that, get the generator going, and Modi would appear. And these are people that don't even have electricity or television, let alone holograms. Hmm. And there, were, there was a lot of violence that we had. Um, we had something like 100 engineers out there that were all confined to their hotels because of the violence. There were stories that would make you weep where at the end of his presentation, all the villagers would surround the truck like it was some sacred crack cow. The fact that it was belching out lots of diesel and everything else is neither here nor there.
0: It's just another um, form of methane.
1: It is. It, 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 it is. Yes. 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 It, it's the sacred cow in every single way, right down to the uh, belching of um, CO two. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but you you know in politics you can't argue with a six point five percent swing in your direction. So. They very quickly signed a very, uh, an exclusive license agreement for four years to have the technology for national elections. And fair play to him. You know, he, he used it well. He used it intelligently. Um, and here he is today, still the prime minister of the world's largest democracy. So Musion has that, I suppose, as, as, as another feather in its cap. But it was a one-way broadcast in the same way that streaming is a one-way broadcast. And I learned for the first time, because I'm not a streaming expert, I'm a telepresence, Um, you know, mogul if you want to put it in that way. So what is the difference between streaming and telepresence? Well, streaming, there is a delay. There's a large delay, and it's not designed to be an interactive two-way communication. It's designed to capture video and audio performance or keynote speeches and put them out on the internet, typically with a delay of anything from nine to 24 seconds. Well, you can't have a conversation. If you and I tried to have a conversation now with nine seconds delay, it would be like, hello, can you tell me the way to the beach please? And then you're looking up in your little translation book and nine seconds later, you go. You know, so
0: it's it's bad enough with some of the news broadcasters who are through satellite technology taking questions. So, David from the streets of Beirut, what are you seeing now?
1: Exactly. Oh so, well,
0: it's very interesting. I'm seeing.
1: <laughs> so going back to my, this this is a. Well, I, I know I've, I've quoted a lot of anecdotes tonight, and probably I haven't got through all the questions. That you
0: no, had. it's lovely. It's I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it.
1: Uh, uh, well, let me. This 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 is this is one that might might catch you by surprise. So, we did the world's first ever telepresence between um, San Jose in California and Bangalore in India. So, you know, karmically india has always been a big part of in uh, of musians future uh, past i should say and future maybe that was a Freudian slip. um and that was in on october the 31st 2007. halloween and cisco cisco got the front page of the times of india the following day and three days later said they wanted to acquire Museum. And it was the first time in their history that they got a front page uh, 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 lead uh, in an international country. So, you know, the power of PR. But in my view, I saw it and I thought, yeah, it's it's good. But the quality of the hologram wasn't as good as our best pre-records. In 2008, I had a chap that was very persistent. And in fact, I, I spent some time with him today. Charlie Day, bless him. Mm. And he said, I, I I sell codex for high vision. He said, mm. you've got to let me come and present to you. Please, please, please. And I I invited him in because I thought, you know what? I think this is going to be a big part of Muse's future and I don't really understand codex. And I know one thing about salespeople is they'll talk the hind legs of a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) And so he brought his codex in and he said, I want to do a demo for you where I'm going to connect these codex up between your media player and your display and I want you to tell me when the codecs are on and when the codecs are off. And I said, okay, fair dues. I said, I like I like games like this. So we started playing a number of different clips. Are the codecs on or off? On? on. Actually, no, they're off. Are the codecs on or off? They're off. No, they're on. And I'm thinking, okay, actually, I can't tell. But I'm not, don't take my word for it. I went and stopped the whole of the company and I got them to do the same thing. And I was standing over him, watching him, turning the codex on and off, and nobody could tell the bloody difference between. Is it
0: real or is it Memorex?
1: Exactly. So I thought these high vision codecs needed a second run out. And my PA at the time, Karina Jess, German girl, um, and she was lovely and she'd always heart i mean she was basically a failed opera singer bless her (laughs) and i arranged um a, a telepresence between london and berlin at the end of 2008 and all i said to her was invite your parents to be part of the audience um and i got her to rehearse her favorite opera piece and that event brought deutsche Telekom knocking and made a lot of media and made her parents cry in the audience so i knew that i had a platform that as a live medium was going to be far more compelling and far more um engaging for, for, for audiences if it could be made live and that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship with high vision and whose high point was we did a live telepresence from moscow to vancouver during the 2010 winter olympics where we had the first ever comedian working with the foil and the shocker for all of us was that the high vision codecs were faster than our own mobile phone signals between Moscow and Vancouver. So I'm sat here today, having just collected up all the high vision codecs we've just used in this, um, in this latest event that we've done, because they're about to go back to Canada. And it's almost like letting go of a friend Mm. because the high vision that they, they're a very modest company. I suppose Canadians, you know, Canadians are like mm. the sort of w- what people see as very modest versions of uh, US citizens. Um, but they're more than that. They're, they're, they're modest, uh, but they're also very grounded in the, in, in the technology that they produce. Um, they refuse to allow us to make any public statements about the fact that these codecs are used in the Premier League. But I want to share this with you because it's a very important point. Cisco inhabit the world of video conferencing, so the problem with their codecs is. So just
0: just just for everybody, what do you what is a codec? How do you yeah? Define... So a
1: codec a codec can be a hardware or a software algorithm, um, piece of hardware or software algorithm that compresses the video and audio. So in a Skype call, that's a software algorithm that Skype uses, or Teams. And what they're doing is they're compressing you and your voice to a microcosm of what your data flow would be if it was uncompressed. That's the best way of putting it. And the, the anecdote I want to share with you is that, that, of course, you know, we were doing great work with Cisco. Um, there is a movie. Um, featuring a um, uh, hologram for a king um, with a, the famous American actor whose name has now suddenly escaped
0: it's not Yul brenner
1: <laughs> no 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 he's much more famous than Yul brenner he's like um, oh okay well that kind of defeats the point of the story um, but I am the character in that movie uh, to- uh, Tom Hanks oh there you go no, Tom Hanks yeah Who was, of
0: course, the captain of the plane that landed on the Hudson.
1: Right, exactly. To to circle. Okay, I'm just going to grab something for you.
0: For everybody who's listening.
1: This is the book, Hologram for a King. And this was uh, the message from my girlfriend, Anna, on the 27th of February. Um, 2013. I sent it. I saw this and immediately thought of you. All my love, etc., etc. And I read the book, and it was me. Hmm. I wouldn't have. Ca- I wouldn't have cast Tom Hanks as me. I've cast Colin Firth.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, but the movie was a very anodyne movie. But it was all about. The attempt to sell this complex hologram system to the King of Saudi Arabia uh, from a tent in the middle of the desert, and during that trip, which was with Cisco, that's when we we had our big confrontation with them because by then I had used the high vision codex and I knew how good we could make our telepresence system look, and they were still basically coercing us into using their webcams and their codecs and I politely said to them that you know this is not the way forward and they said we're the world's biggest uh, telepresence company and you're just a a little pea in a soup um you know shut up and it did remind me of how Microsoft steamrolled a lot of the Arabic software developers who were trying to develop um back in the day, Arabic GUIs, which is their graphical user interface, as I recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many, many instances of, you know, quantity over quality. Yeah. And well, I, and it, reminds,
0: it reminds me Ian, of the statement that this lady from GE said to you, either you are the master and you know it all or license it out. And at that point, somehow I'm thinking, it refers you back to her initial, her first recommendation, which is: you know what you're doing; you need to master it. And the imposition of the high vision technology with their low latency tech that works across H.264 and the regular internet is uh, substantially interesting. Ian, I want to I want to finish with one one last area, um, which is the the future of holographic technology and and how businesses uh and other tech or companies might be able to take advantage of what you at musion provide
1: yeah it's it, it's a very good question um and one that if i had all the answers i would probably be able to produce a business plan that could um raise me you know ten million gazillions pounds overnight um Having spent 16 years in publishing, I understand very well the notion of vanity publishing. Amnusion. A client of mine said to me recently, he's known me for over a dozen years, and he said, the great thing for you, Ian, Covid has turned musion from a novelty to a necessity. He's partially right. He's partially right. People are listening to us a lot more for a lot longer. But it doesn't change the fundamental that if you have a technology which in putting it together people will say, well, that's rather Heath Robinson. Um, You're always going to have a business that's feast or famine. You'll feast when there is a greater than average appetite for vanity and you will be in famine when vanity evaporates and is replaced by what we have today which is everyone being fearful of their bottom line their jobs whatever it might be for musion to thrive it needs to become a business that rents itself out on an hourly basis or has a model more like a higher car rather than um something that you have to buy this that and the other buena vista are the distributors for disney and they put it best to me and as i said my my thinking is always planted i think from the advice of very experienced companies very successful companies because they're not trying to be Nasty or get one over on you, they're, they're trying to help you. The lady from General Electric Aerospace was trying to help me, and Buena Vista said the same thing. They said to me, Ian, we love your technology, but when we want to promote a new Disney movie in a shopping mall, we've got to pay the shopping mall for the space, we've got to pay you to come and do a site survey and jump through endless health and safety loops. Oops. We've then got to pay you to deliver the equipment, set up the equipment, test the equipment, rehearse the equipment. We then need to pay Disney for the content. We need to pay you to operate the shopping center attraction for two or three days. We then need to pay you to de-rig it, pack it into your trucks, and go on to the next shopping center ian we would use this every day of the week if it was already a permanent installation in the shopping center in the same way that i had hoped that eight northumberland would adopt musions system there as a permanent installation but of course i don't understand the way that <coughs> Event spaces are sold, but I do now, and I know that event spaces are sold as four bare walls, and you add to whatever it is you want. If you put a contraption in there, the client will say, Oh, this room looks a lot smaller than I imagined. And that was actually the principal problem I had with eight Northumberland and the girls there that were responsible for marketing the room. They would trot back to the owners and say, we can't sell the room when the is in there because you know the lighting's got to be like this and you know it takes up so much real estate. People just think the room's really small for the price we're trying to charge. So in the end, it didn't get any traction. I think that will change and I think that companies will use it in uh, R&D, and uh, pharmaceutical applications initially because those applications rely so much more on the visual impact of the presentation and i think that if we get some traction in the political domain we will see that being used all over the world because you can't argue i mean for a politician to be able to be in 104 different places at the same time getting his message across even if they were only targeting swing states or swing areas you've got to say that's a lot of bang for your buck so boris if you're listening or sakir's if you're listening um you (laughs) you know where to come next. Sorry. That, that was my own little plug. You know, well, I wonder if it's good enough for Naranda Modi. it's good enough for our own P.S.
0: I should say, uh, I want to finish with a little quote, and then I'm going to ask you to say how people can reach you. But, uh, mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like the song? Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Should I build the wall? Should I run for president? Should I trust the government or is it all just a waste of time? I, cu- I cut out a couple lines, lines. Huh.
1: You, you know, the thing is that if your father has been killed in battle, you're always going to have thoughts like that. And Roger Waters um, was deeply um, affected by the loss of his father. And I suppose when you become an artist with his fantastic repertoire you can afford to be a little bit self-indulgent whereas i think the wall struck struck the right balance the final cut really is uh, morose wailing of the uh, the highest um caliber um i think that holographic technology is here to stay i think that there's nothing you can do to reverse the advance of led technology There's nothing you can do to reverse the advance of um, internet bandwidth. There's nothing you can do to reverse the advance of mobile communications. And we will always have a vibrant, creative community out there that will find ways to use this technology way beyond, way beyond anything that you and I have discussed tonight. And that's what excites me. I think that musion really needs to be put in the hands of the world to say look here we are it's a fertile little seed or it's a seed in a fertile soil come on you farmers come and cultivate
0: on those charming words ian how can someone track you down or at least involve itself with musion and its wonderful holographic technology
1: Well, come to our website, www.musion3d.co.uk. Don't forget the 3D in because if you just type in musion.co.uk, you'll end up with something that you won't want. (laughs) Um, Or you can email me directly on ian.musionevents.com.
0: Fantastic. Um,
1: And I, I always have time for everybody that has a genuine appetite to push the envelope Um, even if sometimes their envelope is to witness their grandfather on the roof of their house it's not something i would encourage nor would it be something i would take on to do but we've done a lot of amazing projects and i can't wait to you know have another one that I can add to my sort of top 10 list that always keeps us going. So, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. It feels like something like Desert Island Discs, if the truth mm.
0: Well, spoken like a true creative, uh, my grandfather was killed by a bomb and uh, would love nothing more than be able to speak to him, Ian. Thanks again for coming to the show and sharing your passion, the history, the, the lovely stories. Great to have you on the show. And I look forward to f- keeping in touch and, and hopefully uh, staying holographic someday.
1: Well, I hope your audience enjoyed tonight. I very much enjoyed conversing with you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: Wrong with challenge. I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust in my reason and let me show you why.